0: One mistake I made specifically as a founder was prematurely scaling in things that weren't scaling or that weren't ready to scale. And I did that actually a little bit on the go-to-market side, probably about a year and a half into the company. Didn't sort of recognize that, hey, look, we've got early customers and everything's going great, but do we have massive runaway product market fit? No, not yet. You know, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand what the implications of that were. We scaled up a lot on process and a lot on people. I think that was a really hard lesson and just realizing that you really have to earn that right. I'm Alex Bovey, CEO and co-founder at Conductor One.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. It six months moonlighting. was nothing at the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know Just what to do next. It took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a pain. Yes, we've been fighting it as we grew. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, my Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. We need to really want it, not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, And today, how Alex Bovey built the platform to secure identity through self service access and governance. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. If you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Turso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at turso.tech/codestory. Turso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Memberstack. Memberstack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com Codestory. Alex Bovey is first and foremost a family man. Time outside of his life as a founder is dictated by his family. He's married with two kids and can be found shuttling kids to soccer and dance practice in his spare time. During COVID, he was able to pick up guitar using YouTube to teach himself. His family got him a super nice Taylor acoustic that he plays on today. Alex spent some time at Okta, and what he noticed was cloud-forward companies struggled with managing identity access and governance. This left companies wasting money on users and in an insecure state. He saw a big opportunity in this space, and with his co-founder, decided to tackle this problem head-on. This is the creation story of Conductor One. So
0: Conductor One is a
1: modern identity
0: governance solution. How I got started on it was I was formerly at a company called Okta, which is an identity and access management solution, kind of cloud SSO and, and user directory and MFA is what they focused on. And what I found from working with all these cloud forward, cloud modern companies is that they really struggled with managing authorization and permissions and sort of the compliance around identities and access, particularly in the cloud, and just saw a huge opportunity there. It's like every single company was scrambling to go to the cloud in 2015 and above, I would say was really like this huge push into the cloud. And then it really left most companies kind of over-provisioned. You've got tons of licenses you don't use. You've got tons of SaaS applications that you brought into your environment. You don't even know what half of them are. Managing the life cycle of users and access across those environments was incredibly hard and, and just sort of saw this like massive problem. There were traditional solutions in this space that we're just more geared towards larger companies with much more complicated needs, or maybe a lot more sophistication. And and the mid market and smaller companies, as they struggled with these problems, really just didn't want that kind of sophistication and complexity. They just wanted a simple you know simple solutions that were quick time to value with easy implementation that just worked out of the box and and solve their needs for those different problems. And so we saw a big opportunity to do that to start a company that really solved that problem and jumped out and and started Conductor One roughly end of 2020 with my co-founder Paul Karina and I.
1: Let's dive into the MVP. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: Yeah, it took us about a year to get really alive with the product for our first customer. So, getting to an MVP I think is actually kind of straightforward, just something that you can you can like demo in a sales call that you could show someone, "Hey, I can click this button and this thing happens and you know maybe demonstrate a little bit of value that way." I think that's actually pretty straightforward to get to. And that, that was probably 3, 4, 5 months we had functional end-to-end prototypes that were working. What we found to be really challenging is that this problem of identity governance is really a, a broad problem across all the applications in a customer's environment. You have to really cover a, a big part of the customer's environment to be able to solve a meaningful you know, portion of the problem. And so there was a lot of work to just blow out those number of integrations to expand what we could support from an integration standpoint for customers and then make sure that the workflows were robust enough to, you know, feel confident rolling those out to a customer's environment end to end. So that took much longer. So, you know, kind of initial prototype was three months and then to to get a customer live was roughly about a year, kind of soup to nuts from when we first shipped the product. In terms of the tech stack, we Decided early on, we were just gonna be all in an AWS. We really wanted to make sure that we were set up for a scale sort of day one. And so we made an investment in DynamoDB as, as the database store. You can, can handle high transaction volume and high read volumes. There's a lot of aspects of that database that make it ideal for a company like ours that has to deal with hundreds of integrations per customer with potentially millions of entitlements or little bits of permission data that we have to capture and store
1: let's stay on the mvp for a minute with any mvp or that first version of the product you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs and you're alluding to some of them in, in at a high level but i want you maybe to dive into one or two for me about you know maybe technical debt or feature cut or approach or some of those tough calls you had to make when building that first version and how you cope with those decisions
0: Probably the biggest place that we had to cut scope on that really drove me nuts for the longest time ever was just in the UI polish and feel. Uh, so we ended up using some out of the box UI frameworks for our front end, but a lot of it had to be customized. And so that just led to some inconsistency in the product early on for that first year where you know we had different ways of doing things, kind of the look and feel was different across different parts of the application. At the end of the day, we're really a a workflow product, meaning our product provides value to customers when it's executing workflows like user access reviews or self-service access and provisioning. The product can be beautiful, but if the workflow piece doesn't work, it kind of doesn't really matter. We had to really stick the landing on the workflows and make sure that those were reliable, that these end-to-end processes worked when customers would start those workflows because they were gonna touch a lot of employees at the company necessarily that meant if you want to stick planning on one thing sometimes other things have to give some of the polish on the ui side just just suffered in those early days of the product and i think for me being a little bit of a like a product perfectionist that hurt my soul deeply (laughs) i would say like it always just bugged me a little bit that uh, you know that everything didn't just look super clean and crisp in those early days but it was really the right thing to do because we had customers who were going live on the product who, you know, took a bet on us to use Conductor One as this solution, you know, were betting on us as a team. And we really had to deliver to them. And so giving them something that was like super polished, but really didn't work, didn't feel right. It was really about those workflows and making sure that those were working end to end.
1: This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know Why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption-at-rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption-in-use with CipherStash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption-in-use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL-native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cipherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cipherstashcom codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash Codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash Codestory. Let's progress forward then. So you've got... You've got your MVP, it's working, you're getting some traction. What I'm curious about is how you progress the product from there and mature it. And to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm really looking for is how you built your roadmap, how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build with Conductor One.
0: We characterize ourselves as dedicated on the vision. Our vision and goal long-term is to secure workforce identity but we are very open and flexible on the tactics. We are marching towards this goal and and vision, and and we have a very clear vision of of the long-term product that we wanna build and the different problems that we wanna solve for customers and how we wanna work with customers. But I do think at some level, particularly early stage, the tactics of the day-to-day should be flexible, and it should be flexible based on customer feedback. We've always been very, very, very customer-driven, customer, customer success-focused. I would characterize this as almost like radically so. You know, I never wanna see a customer not being successful with our product. If, if someone is having a hard time with our product, I'm usually jumping into those conversations and making sure that we're putting the right amount of effort and kind of resourcing to address them. What that ends up doing necessarily at some level is wagging your short-term and mid-term priorities as a company probably a year ago. We really pushed pause on the roadmap for about three or four months, really just to focus on what I was talking about earlier with some of the UI inconsistencies, going back into the product and just cleaning up all the UI and making sure all the filters feel great and that product was super responsive, that everything was working incredibly well, that the quality just felt really great. And that was driven by feedback from a couple of customers that we had around just responsiveness in the application. And you know, when I go to this filter and I click it, it takes three seconds. That seems like too long. And their feedback was right. We sort of keep that long-term vision in mind and we know where we're marching towards. And and we have this long-term plan and vision and and strategy of how to get there. And we know what we're building next and next and next. But I would say kind of short-term, we do let customers drive that. And we try to let customers drive that from just a genuine feedback standpoint that is the best way to help make sure you're building the best product that's going to be mass market for for your customer base is if you've got the right customers and you're just building for what's going to make them really happy yeah, i'm sort of a, a firm believer that that's the best way to create a great product
1: okay you mentioned we several times so i'm curious about team how did you go about building your team what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you
0: It was a lot of just in-network hiring. Both my co-founder and I have been in tech for 20 plus years. For us, we've worked with a lot of great people over the years and just basically reached out to a lot of those folks and said, hey, we're working on this problem. We're starting this company. These are the problems that we want to solve. When we first started the company, we didn't even really know yet exactly what we were going to build, but it didn't stop a few of our really good friends and and former colleagues from from joining. That was what really sourced a lot of the early folks that joined the team. And since then, I think we still get a lot of in-network hiring. So we still hire a lot of people that we've worked with previously, that we've known previously. But beyond that, there hasn't been like a single sort of silver bullet, so to speak, in terms of where we've hired other folks from. Our first product designer was a referral from a contractor who worked with us for a minute on product design. Our first account exec was a cold outreach I did on LinkedIn. And so it's really just been a story of in-network hiring for probably the, the bulk of bringing on new teammates, but then just opportunistically, different channels, referrals, you know, cold outreach on LinkedIn for the for the rest of the hires.
1: This episode is supported by Turso. Turso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel Edge Functions or Cloudflare Workers, you should put your data there too, in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. TURSO makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. is lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at TURSO is offering a generous starter plan specifically for CodeStory listeners. Head over to TURSO.tech slash CodeStory and get started today. That's turs otech slash CodeStory. TURSO. Welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by CAST. If you run cloud native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with CAST AI. CAST AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes the platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai/codestory to get started. You mentioned this in the beginning, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it because I'm curious about how you approached it. And you told me that, that you built this to scale from day one. And, and I hear the, the AWS tooling that you chose, but I'm curious to dive in a little more about, you know, how you approach scalability. And that can be technology. It can be business. It can be team. It can be all, all the things. So tell me about that. And, and perhaps if you had to fight it as you grew in any sort of capacity.
0: I think scalability is a double-edged sword, and as a first-time founder, one thing that I've, I've realized now is that you really do have to earn the right to scale, because scaling necessarily is very expensive, and it comes with a lot of overhead. When you build something for scale, typically you're making investments that assume what it is that you're doing is working and assumes that you're going to get to some number of customers or some number of inputs. And I'm not just talking about on the engineering side. I'm actually talking about everything, how you handle inbound from your website or how you're doing paid marketing or how you're doing events. Like All those things are just different processes that you could start really lightweight with and just kind of figure out what works and what doesn't, or you could assume that you know what works and build up a lot of process and tooling and technology around it. Almost without exception, the right thing to do is to not necessarily build for scale day one, but to really focus on just figuring out what's gonna work and then scaling from there. That can be hard. I think particularly if you've spent a lot of time in industry and you've done a function for some some amount of time, you may have like lots of battle scars. You may have like seen a lot of things go wrong previously. And so it's a very natural human emotion to want to avoid encountering that pain again you suffer the, the pain of sort of experience here and that you wanna to try to avoid those painful experiences that you had previously. And so the way that you do that is you you try to tool up a lot of process or automation or get ready for scale in some way that you think is gonna help you avoid pain in the future. But a lot of times what worked in the past doesn't work in the future. I think that's just a really, really risky thing. So I guess my advice all up on scale is don't really focus on it day one. You know, Really, truly focus on just figuring out what works and what doesn't work and intentionally do things in non-scalable ways until you've figured out what it is that, what the critical aspects are of scaling that process or technology.
1: Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: for me it's definitely the team. We just have such a phenomenal team on board and it's really a mixture of folks that we worked with previously just our ability to to continue to bring on board really awesome folks and see the incredible work that they're doing day in and day out to me is is just really inspiring and one thing I really enjoy doing is when, when I whenever I hire someone, I, I sort of think about like, how's this new opportunity going to be a big stretch for this person or how can I create an opportunity for them that's really interesting because it's going to give them a lot of white space to grow or to do more for their career or to do something that they've never done before. It's just been really awesome to see so many people that we've brought on just be able to stretch and grow in really incredible and impactful ways to the company. That's been really inspiring. And you always have ups and downs as a founder, good times, bad times, the you know the lows and highs and the roller coaster is like very real, but it is always getting up and meeting with the team and talking with the team and talking with customers that gets me super motivated and excited and re-energized if I'm having a tough day or something like that. I've always felt that a great team can execute to success no matter what, even if you're not in a great market, you haven't built the right product, like whatever your problems are, having a great team is the number one ingredient to fixing your problems because it all starts with with execution and team.
1: Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it
0: we talked about earlier. I would say one mistake I made specifically as a founder was prematurely scaling in things that weren't scaling or that weren't ready to scale rather. And I did that actually a little bit on the go-to-market side, probably about a year and a half into the company. Didn't sort of recognize that, Hey, look, we've got early customers and everything's going great, but do we have massive runaway product market fit? No, not yet. I you know, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand what the implications of that were. And so we scaled up a lot on process and a lot on people on the go to market side. And I think that was a really hard lesson and and just realizing that back to some of the earlier comments, like you really have to earn that right. You have to you have to figure out how to repeatedly sell your product. You have to figure out how to repeatedly generate top of funnel pipeline. You have to figure out how to qualify those deals to move them through the sales cycle. And only once you've done that and you've really figured that out across some some volume of inbound and some volume of customers, can you say like, hey, you know what? I know how this works. And I know what the process is here and we need to automate this or, you know, hire someone to do this in a repeatable way. I think on the team side, I think the most important thing with managing that is just recognizing when you've made a mistake and being honest about it and really being honest with the team about why you made the mistake. How as a company or how as a leader, you are going to make sure that you don't make that mistake again reality is like you're always going to make mistakes but being transparent about the fact that hey this was a mistake this is what we did this was the implications of it and this is how we're going to make sure that that we fix this going forward or that we you know don't don't make these mistakes in the future
1: okay this will be fun tell me what the future looks like for the product and for your team on the team
0: side we are remote first but sort of we're in this hybrid world where we are back to office to a degree so i think we're going to continue kind of pushing on that we've been hiring some some team members remotely but we do have an office in portland and in san francisco and we're just going to continue sort of pushing for that hybrid world but also trying to get folks in those centers of of hiring gravity if you will a lot of the team enjoys coming into the office and there's you know, we're we're hiring all of our SDRs in San Francisco and that's just like a really awesome, fun vibe when everyone's in the office working on the phones and hitting the gong when we get a new set meeting or we close a deal. It's like, just that energy is really exciting. And so I'm really looking forward to that from just like a cultural standpoint on the team going forward. Product side, we really view ourselves as a compound platform, meaning we're a, a broad platform. We have multiple products that we're building that address different pain points for the same buying center of a customer. We set the foundations of being able to build multiple products that we sell to our customers early on because we knew that that was how we wanted to fuel our growth. And so we've got two products out of market today. We've got a third product shipping in roughly three or four weeks from this recording time. (laughs) Maybe it'll be out by the time this drops, but I'm excited about about really operationalizing that flywheel. And we've just figured out, I think, how to build a new product as you're building it, make sure you're getting back from customers, getting the right engagement and sort of that beta all the way through to how do you launch it, market it, slot it into our existing platform, price it. Like I think that's a muscle and a lot of companies don't develop that muscle for a very long time. We just view that to be absolutely paramount and super important to building the next iconic company. So we're we're doing that early days, and I'm really excited because I think this year is uh, we're going to just see a lot more of those products landing and and a lot more operationalization of sort of the shipping new new SKUs for our customers that that solve problems.
1: Okay, Alex, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why.
0: One person I've never met, but I've sort of read his writing a bunch and it all resonates with me is Paul Graham. So he's got all, you know, all of his essays online and I just read so many of them really resonate with me as an entrepreneur and a founder just in terms of not being fragile and, you know, the hard work and It's like, maybe these are a little bit tropish. And I think there's almost like a negative backlash to some of this today in the Twitter sphere. But the reality is that it's true. You know, being, being a founder is really hard and starting a company is just really hard work. And there are no easy modes and there are no just tricks that make it super straightforward. And every win is really scratched out through just hard work and dedication and putting effort. Like. Prolonged effort over long periods of time into it. I would also say I've been really inspired by the entrepreneurs that I've had a chance to meet during my life and in my career in tech. So I was always really inspired by Todd McKinnon, was the CEO and co-founder at at Octa. I was always really inspired by him as a leader and just what he was able to build and seeing his kind of execution and steady hand in terms of uh, building the company it was always really inspiring and every now and then he would drop a like just kind of this like amazing nugget of interesting perspective that kind of would blow my mind and <laughs> that was like always kind of cool being around him as, as Octo was growing and then I've had a chance to just work and be around a bunch of other founders and entrepreneurs through them advising our company or being angels in our company. And so it's, it's always been really awesome to just pick up the phone and call one of them and, and share something that I'm working on or some problem I'm struggling with or a decision I'm, I'm grappling with and, and just get their feedback and, and thoughts. Because what you find is that every founder has had this different journey and everyone's got unique experiences and perspectives on things. But there tend to be just some truisms, I guess, across all of those different experiences that always kind of bubbles to the top. And it's kind of fun to to pull the audience at times and just get everyone's perspective and then realize like, oh, this is the underlying this is the underlying truism of this type of a situation. And you know, I should really do XYZ.
1: Okay, Alex, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit?
0: <laughs> a lot of the things we talked about. Number one, awesome. Love the enthusiasm. Love that you built it. Get it Get it into customers' hands as quickly as possible and sh- show your baby off to the world. There's a good chance what you think you've built is game-changing and amazing, and maybe it is, but maybe... You know, maybe the baby's a little bit ugly and needs to be fixed or you need some feedback or you need some tweaks. You got to need to make it better. Don't shy away from that feedback. Just go aggressively get that feedback from as many people as possible. That'd be one thing. The second thing would be as you're building and scaling your company, you know, make sure you earn the right to scale and make sure that your team knows that they need to earn the right to scale before scaling, you know, product, engineering, marketing, whatever the case might be be really thoughtful about how you do that and be very cautious in terms of like how you're building out big parts of your company. Make sure you're being intentional about it.
1: That's great advice. Well, Alex, thank you for being on the show today and thank you for telling the creation story of conductor one. Thanks for having me. No, I appreciate it. And this concludes another chapter of code story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.